Hello, you're listening to a Zen Studies Society podcast. To learn more about our community of Zen Buddhist practitioners, please visit zenstudies.org. Shūmon katoshu Dai sanju soku Entangling vines Case 30 Mitan's brittle bowl One day Oandonge asked Mitan Kanketsu of Mount Tendo What is the true eye of the Dharma? Mitan answered A brittle bowl Oan accepted this reply. Sosan Gen was a strict observer of the precepts who lived at Tenzo Temple in Shusui. One day, during an informal Dharma talk, he mentioned this exchange between Oan and Mitan, commenting, such stories are like a broken signpost, wind bleached, sun scorched, and long abandoned by a fork in the road. Tell me what was written on this signpost. He recited a verse. When the princes of Goryo were young, they danced their horses and reveled in the spring breeze. With no thought of expense, they made pellets of gold and shot at nightingales on the flowering trees. Why didn't Sosan lecture? on Mitan's words, but simply recite an old poem. Good afternoon. On this day in March, where at least here on the East Coast near the ocean, seasons have not yet decided if it should be spring or if winter still remains. We're waiting for a very strong windstorm to come and for temperatures to go down overnight here in this area to minus 10 degrees Celsius. This is your little uh, research. How much is that in Fahrenheit? 
I know that there was some snow this morning in Syracuse. And some of you are in places where it is warm. But you might even be in a place where it is warm right now and where just a few weeks ago, brutal cold came to those who were unprepared for it. And I was thinking of that just recently, hearing Kushu-san giving his talk that he was right in the middle of this. So we never know, will it be cold, will it be warm? But we learn to know it for ourselves. This March on session is the first March on session in two years. Last year, around this time, I was supposed to be at New York Zendo for the March on session. And just before it happened, the global pandemic was declared by the World Health Organization. And the Zen Study Society leadership came together. And we made this very, very difficult decision to cancel March on session 2020. We might have even thought that, well, just wait a few weeks and we'll be able to get together again. Fat chance. Huh? A commonly shared delusion of that we can beat this in no time was dispelled. Day after day, over this last year. And dispelled painfully. Painfully in numbers of loss of human life. The elders. Extremely hard hit. Many, many fell to the coronavirus. And through our own carelessness, from people who knew better, who could have made a difference, it spread and spread and spread. Over half a million of our fellow human beings in the United States accounted in the list of departed. We'll probably never know the true number. Multiple millions over the whole planet. And as it looks right now, more to come. It is a very interesting way to look at this last year 
from the point of view of Zen practice. Because if it had done, if it has done anything, it moved us, it moved us out of a delusion of a comfort zone in which we firmly resided. And it has become quite clear to me over this time that this discomfort, this suffering, these strong feelings and events are necessary to move us forward on this path. Not only the path of Zen, but also the path of humanity becoming wiser, more inclusive, more understanding, more just. It took the extremely uncomfortable, shocking demise of a human being like George Floyd accounted for every second, not just of personal discomfort for him, but of being killed. Yet it was this discomfort that broke the status quo of many people to speak up and to leave that comfort zone, to go and do what's right and demand change. Demand change not by asking for it, but by actualizing it, by stepping out into the light of what needs to be said over and over again. We have to realize that all of these atrocities, these ills of society, these transgressions originate in somebody's comfort zone. So we have to challenge ourselves to not push against and avoid what is experienced as challenge, as discomfort. And it's not that this is a terrible thing to say. Of course, it is terrible to see death inflicted by virus, inflicted by other human beings. But with this discomfort and the ability to awaken through it and to change and move out of the limits of the normal is a wonderful sign of the ability that we human beings have to move forward even out of these extremely difficult circumstances and conditions.
So now to the case of the day. Mitan's brittle bowl. A brittle bowl. A container fired, made from clay to safely hold, strong enough for its purpose, but made from a clay that contains some sand, which makes it susceptible to breakage. When you study the ancients, you might find the record of Seppo Gison, the Seppo Roku. And that's one of the first places where we find this image of the brittle bowl. And Seppo uses it, or those who have recorded his sayings, as a metaphor for the human body. Well, I'm pretty sure that a good number of us feel that sand in that clay in Seshin, the places that appear brittle or even start, oh, it's gonna break. And if not yet, just wait a few more years. And we become intimately familiar with the brittleness of our own existence. When I looked up this koan in the first edition uh, of the Shumon Katoshu that Tom Kirshner uh, published through a Japanese publisher at first, the brittle bowl is translated as a broken millstone, which is an alternate translation. A broken millstone. What do you do with a broken millstone? It is something that is utterly useless, at least for its intended purpose. Once the millstone breaks, the grain cannot turn into flour. But of course, shunyata manifests right in front of us. It is just the idea of the millstone that broke, not the event that at times was called a millstone. No inherent selfhood. No inherent stability. Identity is brittle. So let's follow the general way of looking at these old cases. And let's have a quick look at who we encounter here. 
it might have sound familiar, sounded familiar to you because there are names in here that we chant in our lineage chant, the Teidai Denpo. Oan Donge, Mittan Kanketsu. Those two appear straight in this koan. Oan Donge lived from 1103 until 1163. So only 60 years old. He appears in this collection, the Shumon Katoshu, in three cases. He was a native of the village of Ko by Yellow Plum in the present Chinese province Hubei. At age 17, he became a monk at a temple by the name of To Zenji, Eastern Zen Temple, in the same province. Later, he traveled to another place called Zuishu, where he began his Zen training under a Soto master by the name of Suinan. After Suinan, he went on to look for another teacher and he encountered Engo Kokugon, who we all know intimately from the cases of the Blue Cliff record. Engo Kokugon himself did not take Oan Donge on as a student, but he sent him to his successor, Kokyo Joryo. And Wandonga became Kokyo's Dharma heir, served as a priest in many temples, and finally settled at the great monastery called Tendo. He was a contemporary of Daiye Soko, who was so important for the Zen tradition, especially the Rinzai Zen tradition. And both of them were known as very vigorous and very strict teachers, very skillful. They called him one of the two Amrita gates and Amrita is the Sanskrit term that was used before Nirvana came into usage. So the gate to deathlessness. No greater compliment could be bestowed on teachers than calling them gates to deathlessness to extinction. Oan Donge is an ancestor of all the Rinzai teachers in Japan of today. Donge is an interesting name. We know somebody else whose Roshi room name is Donge Shitsu. And that is Noritake Rodaishi from Reiyunin in Kyoto, one of the sub-temples of Myoshinji. And Donge is the name of a flower, a mythical flower that blooms in the dark, only a few times a kalpa. So that is the person who asked his student Mitan Kanketsu. So Mitan 
we encountered, if you remember or not, Shumon Katoshu case 22-2 speaks about Mittan Kanketsu. He appears in three cases within this collection. He also traveled widely and visited many teachers and Oandonge became his master and Mitan became his Dharma heir. He served as a priest in many temples and his successor, Shogen Sugaku, is in the line from which all of the Zen teachers in the Zen Studies Society originate. Remember, this is the yogi lineage, yogi hoi, haku and shutan, gosoho and engo kokugon, kokyu shoryu, oandonge, the questioner, mittan kanketsu, the person giving the answer. And three more, and we are in Japan. Jogen Sugaku, Unan Fugan, and Kido Chigu. And then the Japanese line begins. Mittan, Mitsu, like in the Japanese term of Mikyo, which is the esoteric Buddhism, means hidden, mysterious. And An is hermitage, a very interesting name. To illustrate what Mittan thought about his fellows and teachers, I was able to find some of his writings. And what he said about the Zen in the 12th century in China. He writes, those who have not learned are in confusion, not relying on the source. They abandon their families, quit their jobs, and wander around in misery, running north and south, looking for Zen and Tao, and seeking Buddha and Dharma, and the tongues of old monks are over the land, all over, intentionally waiting for their transmission, unaware they have missed the point long ago. Another criticism of his, and we have to understand what criticism means in this tradition. When you read the Rinzai Roku, followers of the way, students of today lack It's always held in our face as to push us out of that comfort zone I spoke about before. Mitan goes a little further. He says, the reason this path has not been flourishing in recent years is nothing else but the fact that those who are acting as teachers of others do not have their eyes and brains straight and true. They have no perception of their own, but just keep fame and fortune and gain and loss in their hearts. 
They have no, no, I missed that. Deeply afraid that others will say they have no stories. They mistakenly memorize stories from old books, letting them ferment in the back of their minds so they won't lack for something to say if seekers ask them questions. They are like goats, crapping. The minute their tails go up, innumerable dung balls plop to the ground. Since students do not have clear perceptions, how are they supposed to distinguish clearly? Students believe deeply with all their hearts. So unseeing individuals lead unseeing crowds into a pit of fire. From my point of view, this is the expression of the deepest care that Mittan expresses for those who come to the Buddha Dharma to study, who come as seekers for relief. And it cannot be impressed deeply enough on all of us that we all are teachers of our own and examples, seniors for others on this path. So we have to be careful that we don't turn into goats that spit out those little dung balls, even though they might be quite good for fermentation and for fertilization. Make sure people don't put them in their mouths. They don't taste so well. So now that we know almost all the people, the only one we are missing is the third one who appears, So San Gen. So San Gen was another successor in the line of Mitan Kanketsu. But he happens not to be in our lineage and not much is known about him to begin with. There is no biographical detail that we can ascertain for Sosan again. So here's the teacher looking at a student and asking a question. What is the true eye of the Dharma? The true eye of the Dharma. Does it sound familiar? Let's think of Mumon Khan, case six. Seison Nenge, the Buddha twirls a flower. On Vulture Peak, the address of the Buddha to his assembly, twirling the flower. Mahakashyapa, smiling. And the Buddha speaks about this true Dharma. Shobogen is the Japanese pronunciation of the characters. The true Dharma that sees into the true nature of Dharma, the true nature of karma, the true nature of Buddha and Sangha. 
the Buddha said, I have the true Dharma eye, the marvelous mind of Nirvana, the true form of the formless, and the subtle Dharma gate, independent of words and transmitted beyond doctrine. This I have entrusted to Mahakashyapa. So what is Oan asking for his student? What is the true Dharma I? Mitan answers. A brittle bow. And his teacher accepts his answer. We spoke a little bit about the brittle bowl, the fragility of everything. We could call it impermanence, anicca, mujo. No bowl will last forever. And we know that in Japan, when a bowl breaks, it is not just discarded, it is repaired. Very fine jobs are done where that portion that broke is replaced with gold. It looks really pretty. And the life and usefulness of the effort of the artists, of the artisan, of the maker of the bowl is honored through that. It continues. But of course, these ideas also come here and it becomes more interesting. Oh, this looks pretty. Let's break a few bowls and fix them. It's quite a different approach. Let's break it so we can fix it up in a way and at the same time, throw out all that this way of putting it together is meant to express. We have to be quite careful with that. So later, I don't know how much later, a generation, two generations. Another successor in this line of Mitan Kanketsu, during the Dharma talk, mentioned this exchange. Sosan Gen was a strict observer of the precepts. Are we strict observer of the precepts? Are the precepts to be observed in an objective way? Are they to be interpreted in a subjective way? 
Who judges? So during an informal Dharma talk, So San Gen mentioned the story and made a comment. Such stories are like a broken signpost. Wind bleached, sun scorched, and long abandoned by a fork in the road. Sometimes we sit in Zazen. And some events from our past visit us. The path has already been taken. But we remember the signpost. I'm going to look at it, yes, just like the brittle bowl. The wood is rotting. The post is scorched by the sun. Standing there, doing what a signpost does, pointing. Wind blown, just about ready to fall over. And long abandoned at that fork. So in the same way that relates to our lives. It also relates to this kind of teaching that we experience here in this tradition. Upaya, skillful means, fingers pointing to the moon, but they themselves also are subject to anicca, to mujo, the impermanence. Our identities sometimes seem to be signposts like that. But if we stay with them and fixate them, yes, what will happen? We'll just stand there, not able to do anything but point, but not march on this way or that way. Getting scorched by the sun, blown against by the wind. And getting brittle as the wood is rotting. To illustrate the whole thing, So Sangen asked the question Well, tell me what was written on that signpost? Well, can't we even read it? The sun has scorched away what was written on it. The wind has blown so hard that we don't even know if it points into the right direction anymore. But Sosan Gen answers in this way. 
When the princes of Gordio were young, they danced their horses and reveled in the spring breeze. With no thought of expense, they made pallets of gold and shot at nightingales under flowering trees. To me, at this point in 2021, this poem reads, when the inhabitants of this modern world discovered that the pandemic was ending. They felt urged to go out dancing and to revel in the spring breeze. Or when I was young, when we were younger, youth made us dance, but also revel and not be able to see all of that decay that is coming at us. with no thought of expense. And expense here is not the gold that went into the bullets to shoot at the nightingales, but it's the expense of cause and effect. In this practice, when we revel in that spring breeze of having an insight of feeling just a little lighter off that load of self. We still have to be careful and not start shooting at that that is most precious and elusive. Even if the bullets we make are made from golden moments of our meditation, are made from golden ideas of equality, of goodness, of aspiration. Learning that the flowering trees and the nightingales are best enjoyed. First of all, by not shooting at them, but by letting them be elusive. Now, this road and the pointer kind of connects. I, ha I had the first chance or occasion to leave my, my home here to drive family members to their vaccination. And I have not been on the road on a trip like that for the whole last year. And wow, it was a harrowing experience. Getting onto the interstate, 
the haste and the race for being there first. The pushing around of others to get ahead. The leaving behind of any kind of ideas of safe driving because I want to go faster. Oh, I've not been so anxious driving for a long time. Because the forces that are exerted by these moving projectiles on the road are not appreciated by those behind the wheel. Everybody is on edge, wanting to get there first. Freedom. Now, yesterday when I, and when we listened to this wonderful talk about Soren Roshi, and when Shingeroshi read from his Teisho about opening this Dharma and speaking about how important and how precious it is to have been born as a human being. We have to be careful that we don't approach it in the same way that driving is going on. The urgency of awakening is not a haste. It is not getting there first or quicker. In fact, the person who wants to get there has to be left behind in order to even move by the signpost. Urgency, indeed but not haste. This practice is not an athletic endeavor. In the same way that love cannot be forced, this path cannot be forced either. And many a great master, many a great ancestor, serves as an example for this path. And we hear how hard they practiced. Yet at the same time, we also hear they were human like we were and are. So in Roshi suffered from depression at times. And we know about his own challenges of his own karmic conditions. But yet, the urgency to awaken made him march on. March on, march on. Not despite the discomforts of these karmic conditions but because and with them. It is not comfort. 
that brings up the big question, the great doubt, the great faith, and applying ourselves fully. outside the comfort zone. So this koan ends yet with another question that is asked by So-san Gen. And what did Gen-san ask us? Why didn't So-san lecture on Mitan's word, words? but simply recite an old poem. Now, here is the answer. Waga soshite to obushiki hito ga bousatsu ko nokori o watari atokana no nashi. A man who looks like our ancestors. Bodhidharma, Rinzai or Hakuin. I don't know. Crossed over the ice of Daibosatsu Lake. Without leaving the slightest trace. This has been a Zen Study Society podcast. If you found it to be of interest, please consider making a donation by visiting zenstudies.org slash donate. Thank you for listening.